Hello and welcome to the Free Movement Podcast. I'm CJ McKinney. Today we are talking about relationships, not in the Love Island sense, unfortunately, but in the thoroughly unromantic context of proving that you're in a relationship with someone for the purposes of getting a visa. I'll be talking to immigration lawyer Nick Nason about how to prove that a relationship is real to that most cynical of observers, the Home Office caseworker. Now, if you don't already know, Free Movement is a website publishing updates, commentary, training, and advice on UK immigration and asylum law. Visit us at www.freemovement.org.uk, all the usual social media platforms, and iTunes or Stitcher for future episodes of this podcast. Now, if you want to get a visa for your foreign spouse or partner to come live with you in the UK, it's not necessarily easy. There are various hoops to jump through, including that you are in what the immigration rules call a genuine and subsisting relationship with that person. Which is fair enough, you might say, but it is very much on the person relying on the existence of that relationship to prove that it exists. You must have proof, especially given the notorious culture of disbelief at the Home Office, which can and does refuse visas on the basis that there is no genuine and subsisting relationship there. So what I want to do today is get some expert legal advice on how to establish a genuine and subsisting relationship and how to avoid being refused by a caseworker having a bad day. To do so, I spoke with solicitor Nick Nason of Edgewater Legal in London, one of Free Movement's regular contributors, and I started by asking Nick what exactly the Home Office means by genuine and subsisting relationship. So the Home Office have got their own list of what a genuine and subsisting relationship is, on that home office list is basically five main items which couples can use to show that they're in a genuine and subsisting relationship. And uh, those are um, evidence of cohabitation, um, children that the couple have together. Um, that doesn't have to be biological children, that could be adopted children or uh, stepchildren. Shared financial responsibilities, visits to each other's countries and visits to um, see each other's families and also kind of evidence of plans for the future so not just that they're in a relationship now um, it's more than just a, uh, a flash in the pan they're looking for some sort of kind of longevity or evidence of longevity and do you have to tick all these boxes if they have to? I mean obviously not everyone will have children but do you yeah. have to sh- always show um, plans in advance and shared finances and 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 to tick the boxes or just one or two would do so this is the this is basically where I would say you start with this list, and if you don't meet uh, or you can't meet those requirements, which lots of people can't, and that's not a problem, you then move to other ways of showing that you're in a genuine and subsisting relationship. Okay, we'll maybe go on to the, the other ways in in a little bit, but if if you're going for these kind of five main factors, what are we talking about in terms of evidence? Documents showing that you have a joint mortgage, have kids, is this what we're talking about? Yeah, so let's, if we go through, um, if we go through the, uh, the evidence for each category, um, so for example, of cohabitation, so the Home Office are looking, if the Home Office, if the Home Office can see that you live together, then that's, for them, it's a big tick in the box. Lots of people don't live together before they have uh, a genuine subsisting relationship for, maybe for religious reasons or for other reasons, you know, logistical. Uh, so this isn't, um, uh, and, and that you can have, if you don't have it, it doesn't mean that they're going to immediately say that you're not in a genuine and subsisting relationship. We're just saying that this is good evidence. In terms of what evidence you might be able to provide, tenancy agreements with both of uh, the names on, um, letters from a, a letting agent um, or a landlord if you don't have your name on the tenancy agreement, 
kind of joint correspondence that goes to the same address um, in both names. That, that's the kind of best evidence that you can provide of cohabitation. Um, if you can't provide that really good evidence of cohabitation, but you still live together, then you can start thinking more imaginatively about things like um, delivery records from Amazon, for example, or uh, utility bills um, from uh, different uh, utility companies or from government agencies and things like that. Okay, that's so it doesn't have to be something as official as a letter from the government or a letter from the bank. You can kind of bring in more informal kind of stuff if you need to. Yeah, so what we'd always say to clients is you start with the strongest evidence, which is basically correspondence from the state, essentially. So council tax bills, um, uh, anything from HMRC, uh, anything from any other government department, DWP, things like that. And then you kind of move down to uh, your other options if you can't kind of get that evidence. Okay, and what about, uh, so that's one of the five. What about children? What are we talking about there? So, uh, again, this is not going to apply to everyone or even to most people, um, you know, but the Home Office basically say if you have children together uh, or you care for children together, they don't have to be your children or necessarily, uh, then this is good evidence that you're in a relationship. Um, so obviously what we're looking for is birth certificates with the name of both uh, of the, the parties on it. So both, uh, you know, mum and dad or, um, you know, in or, or adoption papers, for example, if uh, the child is adopted. If you don't have that evidence for whatever reason, then you can kind of, again, move on to other types of evidence that you might be able to provide. So, for example, letters from nursery or school, which confirm you know, that you're picking up the kids on a regular basis and you're involved in their day-to-day care and things like that. You just have to basically be quite imaginative, depends on the circumstances, but if you think about it as, you know, enough, you can kind of create that evidence. And what about if you have a sort of older child? Would you get the 16-year-old to write a letter themselves saying, yes, I am a the child of these people they yeah. live together is that yeah exactly so it depends on um the age of the child and the maturity of the child in terms of whether you want to get evidence from them so for example uh so a, a younger child who's you know between five and ten they might draw pictures for example of the family um you know as uh but again if you get get to 10 11 12 slightly older than that then you, you can get a letter from a, a child to confirm that what about uh, shared finances then? That seems maybe relatively straightforward, bank statements and so on. Again, this is ideal home office ticking boxes for them. Um, if you've got shared financial responsibilities, it means that you're more likely to be in a genuine relationship. If you're not, if you don't have shared financial responsibilities, not an issue. We just move on to the other types of evidence. But in terms of shared respons- uh, financial responsibilities, things like um, yeah, joint mortgage statements, uh, evidence that you're both paying the rent, um, so perhaps a letter from a landlord, utility bills in both your names, and this doubles up as in terms of if you're living together. So cohabitation, shared financial responsibilities will normally go together. Um, if you don't have, uh, if you, you know, lots of couples for whatever reason keep their finances separate. Um, but for example, if uh, if you've just recently been married and you've changed the beneficiary on a life insurance policy, um, something like that. That obviously, you know, if you've got that kind of official, um, that kind of evidence, and that, that's also useful. 
Okay, so lots of different sources you can draw on in, in all these categories, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about your? We're sort of getting into slightly less tangible stuff now, but uh, visiting one another's country, you said. Yeah. So um, again, this is on the Home Office list, and we are looking at the the Home Office are looking for integration at a kind of familial level, rather than just two people meeting, and they see that as a kind of a stamp of approval. Um, you know, whether that's right or wrong, that's that's what they're. That's what their take is. So you're looking at things like flight tickets and um, you know confirmation, perhaps in a statement or in a letter written by the uh, person who's applying or their their spouse um, or partner uh, that they did visit, what happened at the visit, um, photographs of the visit, and we'll come into the kind of the alternative evidence that you can provide in terms of photographs and uh, statements uh, afterwards. But basically, you'll cover those. Uh, this base by, do, by doing that. Yeah. Okay. And finally then you talk about plans for the future, evidence that you're creating a life together. What kind of stuff would you put in for that? So again, if you've got a job offer, um, this isn't to do with the, the minimum income requirement, but um, which is a, a kind of separate um, uh, requirement. But if you do have a job offer, then it shows that you are going to be you know, based in the UK and... Uh, You've got, you're going to be putting your roots down, um, where are you going to live, just kind of practical questions. Um, usually this would be covered again in statements um, from uh, the applicant and or the, the, their partner. Uh, and so you normally you'd cover that off in the statement. Okay, so it might be worth talking about statements versus kind of independent evidence. I mean, to what extent can you just get a statements from your clients they sort of solemnly swear that it's all true and that will satisfy the home office or versus backing it up with sort of independent because the home office are notoriously quite suspicious yeah so absolutely you wouldn't just provide a statement by itself what the statement does uh, is it provides a narrative um, which pulls everything else together so in if i was making an application by myself i would provide a statement which basically referred to all the other bits of evidence that I've got. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not always necessary to provide a statement. Some people provide it, uh, this information in a covering letter. Uh, but either way, there should be some sort of uh, kind of central explanatory bit of writing. Either, and this is what a lawyer would do, but also applicants do it all the time by themselves, which kind of pulls everything together. Um, so yeah, don't just use, don't just draft a statement. That won't work. You need to provide other kind of what the, the Home Office would refer to as third-party objective evidence. Um, but it helps to have uh, a kind of something to explain that and how it comes together. Yeah, because I suppose the Home Office doesn't know you, right? You're trying to help the caseworker, you know, make the understand what you're putting before them. I suppose. Yeah. So be nice to your caseworker, right? You got to be like. Uh, you gotta, they, you gotta explain it to them. Is is make it as easy as possible for them to just move through the application, which essentially tells a story about your relationship, and uh, so it's it's easy for them to make a decision. And so it's not even a question that they have to really ask themselves whether there's a genuine and subsisting relationship here. So it sounds like if you tick a lot of these uh, boxes in terms of having joint finances, having kids together, um, having lots of trips to one another's country, you'll be absolutely fine if you've got the evidence of it. But, but a lot of couples, I suppose, would just 
be younger, they've only met relatively recently, they don't have all these uh, trappings of a long-term relationship, but would still be in love and wanting to start their life together. How, how do they prove that, though? Yeah, so uh, for those couples, um, we start looking at alternative ways of, uh, of showing that you're in a genuine and subsisting relationship. And what I would say is that the, the first thing that I ask clients to do is provide um, photographs of their relationship. This, has, this is the oldest way of provide, providing evidence to the Home Office. And in the old days, you, know, you would uh, provide physical photographs with your application form. Um, and uh, nowadays, it's all digital. So people will have to upload uh, essentially photographs of their of their lives together the way that i tell clients to treat this kind of evidence gathering process is don't see it as an evidence evidence gathering process see it as like a, it, it sounds kind of corny but as like a celebration of your relationship so far so see it as like you're providing a, a story to someone about how you met what's going on in your life um what you've done together where you've been and that it should be in a kind of broadly chronological narrative structure so imagine that you were explaining to you know your gran about you've just met this girl or this guy and you know and you wanted to show some pictures of your relationship so you would basically uh, put these all together I'd normally say quality over quantity so 40 or 50 good quality photos um, rather than some people you know They'll put in 500 and I just don't see there's not, not much point in that. But the important thing is explaining what's in the photos. So again, be nice to your caseworker. So the caseworker should get the um, should get the photos and should know exactly who's in it, when it was taken and what's going on. So what I would normally do is I put together a document with uh, those photos in it and with captions underneath. So, like a Word document with yeah. lots of different... Yeah. So you can do it in a Word document. That's the easiest. You can do it yourself uh, in that way. The other thing you can do is, for example, uh, Boots um, provide a kind of photo album service where you can upload photos and they provide you with like a coffee book at the end and you can add captions as you go. So, you know, you sit down with your coffee book, uh, coffee table book and, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that you, as well as providing with your application... You've got a coffee table book at the end of it, so it's, everyone's Bonus. everyone's a winner. <laughs> so so you've got to kind of think of it in that way, and don't think of it as a, it's it's pretty depressing thing to be doing. You know, essentially you're you're trying to prove to a skeptical government agency that you're in a relationship or something with someone, and it kind of normally you should just be able to say, "Here's my marriage certificate," or you know, "Here's my my word is my bond," and that would be the end of it. But because of it's kind of culture of disbelief that we have to work with um, as lawyers and immigration lawyers and applicants. That's this is why we kind of go to these to these ends to to do that. And so you've got your photographs as a really strong way of telling that story of your relationship. Anything else you would put in alongside? So it it de- again it depends. Uh, I normally would say that that would be the starting point. If I still have. Uh, not doubts, but I want to kind of, in an abundance of caution, I want to make sure that everything is, all my bases are covered uh, as an applicant or as a lawyer representing someone. I'd say that uh, you've got uh, other ways of showing uh, 
the relationship, so through communication, for example. Nowadays, it's much more straightforward to show communication between one partner and another um, if they're not living together. If you are living together, you go back to the cohabitation evidence, which there should exist. But if you're not living together, then obviously in a genuine relationship, there's going to be a lot of communication. So things like WhatsApp, um, kind of uh, Facebook, any kind of messaging service, you should have the opportunity to download uh, the interactions that you have in some sort of document. I would only normally do this if I was worried about demonstrating the, the relationship and, you know, if, if I thought, if I had doubts or about the strength of the evidence. If you're struggling with cohabitation evidence and so on, this would be a fallback. Yeah, because it's pretty intrusive, right, to, to download 10,000 pages worth of WhatsApp chat. Um, which shows, you know, your communication over two, three years. It's going to be all kinds of personal stuff in there that unless you are really struggling uh, for other evidence that you don't really want to share with a third party or, you know, government agency. So I don't like to ask clients to do that, but I would only really do it if I thought that evidentially we were struggling in, in other areas. Um, and so on WhatsApp chats, for example, even fairly recently when we were sending things in, in physical format, there would be, you know, you could have a couple of inches sent in, uh, which I doubt anyone would ever read. Um, but now, given that everything's digital, it's much easier to send in lots of information. So if you do want to do that, then it is possible um, via the new uploading um, kind of uh, process that the Home Office have got. And do you, do, do couples communicate in languages other than English? Sometimes, would you still put in foreign language um, messages? So that's a really good question. And I have put in foreign language um, evidence before uh, on the basis that you shouldn't normally put in foreign language evidence. The Home Office likes everything to be translated, but there's no way that you're going to translate uh, however many pages of uh, WhatsApp chats because it's just disproportionately expensive. So you're putting it in solely to show that two people with the same name as the applicant and their partner had some sort of interaction and it's uh, it would be pretty harsh for the home office to turn around and say well i'm not going to accept that because it's not in english because you if, you know as long, as long as you can see the names of the individuals uh, on a whatsapp chat for example then you get the gist of yeah it of should be accepted yeah okay. is it a difficult pitch to ask them to download all their whatsapps and give them to you and and some civil servant to read yeah and that's a really good question so you have to make the case for it you have to explain to your client uh that you know we could uh, all, all you're doing is, as a lawyer is saying, well, these are the risks. You know, you can go in with a fairly bulletproof application on this point, at least, uh, if we do X, Y, and Z. If we don't do X, Y, and Z, then there's a slightly increased risk of refusal. And then it's a matter for you if you want to take that uh, risk on uh, rather than, uh, you know, submitting, you know, all these WhatsApp chats or, or whatever. The other thing I'd say is that you, that you, you don't want to contribute you don't, sometimes it's difficult to see how your actions as an individual lawyer contribute to a kind of like an, an evidential arms race of like, you, you kind of create this like, you know, th that caseworker, when, when he's seen your application where you've literally documented every single tryst of a relationship, you know, from beginning to end. And that caseworker then sees, you know, grants your application, but then the next application where all you've got is, 10 photos and a marriage certificate uh, and he, he, he or she becomes more suspicious. And you never really know how far you're contributing to that. And in a sense, that's above your pay grade as a lawyer because your, you know, your obligation is to your individual client. 
but is it above my pay grade? Should I be thinking about those additional things? I don't know, perhaps. But that's why I say you take a measured approach. You say to your client, look, you know, we've got this, this is good evidence. I'd say we're, we're 80% bulletproof. We could do this extra thing and it's going to take you up to 95%. Um, the downside is you have to give away a bit more of yourself to the state. And that, but that's a matter for you. I can't take that decision for you. And would you have had many clients refuse a visa or an extension on the basis that their relationship isn't genuine and subsisting? So I haven't had any clients who have been refused uh, on, on that basis. I have picked up clients who have either tried themselves or they've been with a different uh, lawyer and their application has refused. At that stage, it's essentially you can appeal, which is a long process, and you're not going to get a hearing for several months at least. Uh, or you can make a new application, which again, you've got the cost of doing that. Or you do a kind of um, a third way, which is uh, not really published in any in any kind of home office guidance, which is essentially you lodge the appeal and then you write in big letters on the front of the appeal forms to the entry clearance officer and ask them to review it. Uh, so that's happened a few times uh, where the decision was overturned before it got to the actual appeal uh, through an internal review process that entry clearance officers have to go through. That used to be published guidance, but it's not now. But that's a third way that no one really would know about unless you know you had a, had a lawyer. But the problem with doing that in a genuine and subsisting relationship case is because it's not just a, it's not like someone's missed a document. You know, the entry clearance officer has, has taken a view, which is going to be, a, unless it's a, you know, a real stinker, where they've, they've missed or they just haven't read some of the evidence that's been sent in. They've taken a view on the genuineness of the relationship. And it's quite difficult to argue against that without, you know, going through a full appeal and, you know, lodging more evidence and that kind of thing. Yeah, would you be able to sort of sneak in a bit, bit more weighty evidence that goes to the relationship at that point and, and the entry clearance officer would, would then see it the second time around? Yeah, potentially, uh, potentially. So uh, you, you could do it uh, that way around. Um, I think the, you know, the one case where I've picked up uh, at uh, the refusal uh, um, stage and where the appeal was not listed for, I think it was about a year, this is a, a while back where the waiting times were a bit longer. Uh, but essentially we put in a mountain of WhatsApp uh, chat evidence. This is the kind of place where you would put in that kind of evidence um, if you were really uh, struggling for other evidence. And we were struggling for other evidence, but it was clearly the relationship that was going on here because why would, you know, and you could read the content of the messages and you could see that, it was fairly clear. And at the stage that you know we put in all that evidence, and it was the decision was basically withdrawn the week before the hearing by the Home Office lawyer. So it is possible to do it that way, but again, the client had to wait for twelve months uh, for that hearing. Um, so it's just it's not worth going through that um, hassle for what is essentially a, a, it's not a, a huge ask to get that evidence together first time round. Um, as long as you know what you're doing. That's all from us on this episode of the Free Movement Podcast. I'll be back with Colin next time for a roundup of everything that's been going on in immigration law over the summer. In the meantime, check us out on www.freemovement.org.uk.